Welcome to Long Story Long. I'm your host, Lisa Curry. Today's guest is one of my favorites. I've got Jen Kirkman on. She is a comedian and writer and a podcaster. She has two Netflix specials and she has a podcast called Anxiety Bites and a new album out called OK Gen X. She is hilarious and I love this conversation so much. I had the best time recording this. Uh, I think you're really going to love it. Here you go. Hey, Jen, how are you? I'm great, thanks. Um, I have to say, I rewatched your specials this week. Uh, and oh, no. Sorry. I know, I love them. <laughs> it was just, you know, like how you will watch comedy when you're new into comedy or before you start doing comedy, and then you watch it again later and you think of it differently. Yes, I, totally. I mean, I still love both of the specials, but I think after having watched a million specials now and now watching again, I was like, oh, you have such a high joke percentage in in yours where some people will go on and on and they say things in a funny way, but they're not writing jokes. <laughs> and you have a million really? jokes in yours. Yeah. I always think of myself more as the person who goes on and on, maybe doesn't even say it in a funny way. But thank you. That's nice to hear. I, I That's not been my... I think I did actually by the time those specials came out I think I did work hard and jam pack them but in general I was never really known as a joke teller so thanks oh, they're great and I like <laughs> I mean not to kiss your ass but that's how I am oh. gonna start <laughs> and also I, I like, love it love your style and I love it drives me nuts when somebody like I, men do this a lot where they record a special in like a hoodie <laughs> and old sneakers and I'm like you look fucking great it's that's part of a special I think yeah I mean I'm still trying to find my style I like kind of an androgynous dressing look you know um and I had all these weird restrictions that I guess if I threw a bigger fit maybe I really? wouldn't have had like well just like you can't wear this color not like from Netflix just the people that directed it oh because I see. of the lighting and stuff oh got it okay. um but so I don't even remember, but I, I yeah, like there's, I, I don't know. I, I, I did put thought into what I was wearing in both of them. The second mm-hmm. one I was trying to do like a Richard Pryor seventies okay. kind of look, you know, like yeah. I love like a low cut blouse, but not in like a show my boobs way. Like I like it to look like no boobs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh-huh. Not cleavage is what I'm trying to say. So anyway, uh, I was fun, but I got a lot of, um, this is how I know I'm doing something right. Is like a lot of like nasty emails from dudes after my second special because my pants were like they weren't even baggy they were like $700 designer helmet laying like Uh well-fitted pants but they were wide leg yeah and it was like why'd you wear those pants and I'm like oh then I know the pants were a home run and I'm not bragging about the price I never wear clothes that expensive but I I hired a stylist for this and she brought those pants and then the shirt I wore was from a vintage store that I'd had forever and it was five bucks so there's my inside style story (laughs) I love it so much um so you grew up in Boston outside of Boston in the suburbs of of like super suburban like not southy you know goodwill hunting like super suburban like Massachusetts (laughs) all right yeah um did you when you were a kid did you know you wanted to get into comedy no, I didn't know, like in the 70s, early 80s, I didn't know that was a job. And thank God I didn't because mm-hmm. I really, I, I just think it would be psychotic if I <laughs> always wanted to be a stand-up and then pursued no other arts. You know, I, I wanted to be in show business. I definitely, since I was awake, you know, yeah. um, I saw this guy tap dancing on a piano on the Lawrence Welk show. All right. 
And um, my mom claims that I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. And so I started taking dance lessons mm-hmm. when I was five and tap and ballet and the whole thing. And I was always just very uh, outgoing and artsy. Mm-hmm. And so the the dream went all kinds of places. I mean, honestly, my parents had me when they were 38. So my sisters are way older than me. Mm -hmm. And so they were kind of like out of the house by the time I was eight. Like they were fully just grown and like married and in college and all kinds of things. So I was I was like really under the influence of my parents. And so I was this weird old soul because my parents were older than Mm -hmm. the other kids parents. And they were kind of from the 50s and 60s. And so I had this just knowledge of music and TV and movies that were not what was currently happening. So I had this very old show business, I don't know, sense of what, that's what I wanted to get into. I wanted to get into things that didn't exist anymore that I didn't know. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So it was like, you know, I wanted to be like. I don't even know. Well, like I was quoting Mae West when I was little, yeah. you know, whatever that was. It's like I thought I was going to be that. And so it was like then I got really into sitcoms and I, I really wanted to be on one. And I took little acting lessons when I was 10. And That's so cute. It was cute, but I just wasn't good. Like I was just so insecure that like it just was like screaming off of my face. Like uh-huh. I uh, anyway, blah, blah, dance, acting. I wrote, I wanted to be a poet at one point. I wanted to be all things that don't yeah. pay anything. It was like a write a poet. <laughs> and then in high school, like here comes the depression. And so now I'm like, I want to be a dramatic actress. Uh-huh. And and then um, I was in like a punk band in high school. And then, I, but I was also in this school musical. Mm-hmm. So I, I really just was everything. But yeah. I didn't, like if you s- said, what do you want to do as a job? I was like, oh, a dramatic actress or dancer and so when I went off to college like mm-hmm. that's I tried to go to it's like my mom wouldn't let me go to New York like yeah it was a, it, like to her New York was like you know taxi driver in the 70s it was <laughs> yeah. just like so I ended up going to Emerson College in Boston which is um it's a good school now but it wasn't when I went it was just I mean literally just barely a college and not worth anyone's money but um you know, so yeah, it was always like dance and acting and just some vague sense of show business. It's so funny. It really wasn't ever stand up. I loved comedy. I mean, I yeah. watched Johnny Carson and stuff like that, but I didn't. And and okay, one last thing, I'll stop babbling. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're good. When Seinfeld first came on, I thought that was so cool. I I watched it since the first episode, and I I do remember being very interested in what is this guy doing in mm-hmm. front of that brick wall, you know. And I, I knew what stand-up was, and I was like, that's awesome. Like, that's cool, but not, I didn't think I was going to do it. Yeah. And then there was an episode of Beverly Hills 90210. Are you, did you ever watch it? Are you um, in I the age range of it? I didn't no. do a lot of 90210. I wasn't a big TV kid. I had a similar mm. up upbringing, yeah. in a way. My I was very close with my grandparents, and I spent a lot of time with them as a kid. So I grew up on, like, Shirley Temple, and I thought that was show business. Like, right. again, the okay, tap dancing it. and the... And I was like, just like these big MGM musicals. And I'm like, that's what it is. <laughs> totally. I mean, I wish it w- I mean, I don't know what I wish. But but on 90210, there was an mm-hmm. episode where Brenda, played by Shannon Doherty, was really into like being on her own, but mm-hmm. she was still in high school. And she made friends with this woman that ran a coffee shop. And the woman that ran the coffee shop was like, you know, super cool. And she was like, we do this spoken word night mm-hmm. here sometimes. And it probably was 
I don't know when this when was Nano Two and on. It was like early nineties. So mm-hmm. I I don't this must have been around the like first alternative comedy coffee shop thing yeah. that was happening in Los Angeles. So anyway, in this episode, Brenda gets obsessed with like doing speaking at a coffee shop and she gets on stage and you know, just does monologues about like being in high school. And I was like that, I want to do that. I, I didn't know what that was. But I was like, that specifically is what mm-hmm. I want to do. And so like kind of throughout college, I was into like Spalding Gray and like people who did like kind of speaking mm-hmm. shows. And that's actually what I wanted to do. I never wanted to be a proper standup. And um, now that I've stopped, I've never been happy. <laughs> Like I never want, like I just somehow got off track, but like, yes, I didn't know I wanted to stand so long Are you still tap dancing though? (laughs) You know, I, I will tell you, no, I'm not, but I took a tap class Mm -hmm. in the early, late nineties when I first moved to New York City, Savian Glover was hugely famous at that point. He was the guy. Yeah. Not joking, there were flyers, as in like pieces of paper taped to poles mm-hmm. around this <laughs> certain area of town that had dance studios in it. And it was like master class with Savion Glover this Sunday, 25 bucks. You know, I was like, I'm going. So I yeah. went with my tap shoes. I hadn't tapped, you know, I was probably <laughs> in my 20s and I hadn't tapped since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it can't be that hard because it was not just for dancers, like anyone could go. And it was yeah. totally full but we all got one-on-one time with him and it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced in my little shuffle step hometown mm-hmm. tap <laughs> oh. school. Like he just came in and he didn't even say words. He was like, it was just all rhythm and he was like talking like he was a drum. Okay. So he had like live drummers. He was like, hey everybody. And he throws his bag and he's like, let's do it. And he's just like doing all that like jazz. And I was like, what? And everyone knew what to do. I was like, what's happening? Yeah, you're like, I'm at shuffle ball change right now. So. <laughs> but you weren't allowed to ask a question unless you had pretty much mastered the step. That was his rule. He wasn't going to come over and oh. help you if you were totally lost. So there was one step that I managed to kind of master. Mm-hmm. And then I called him over and asked a question just because I wanted to be near him. Yeah. And then he like held my hand as I got the move right. And he's like, that's what I'm talking about. And then after that, I was like, I cannot keep up. So I faked a little injury and just sat and watched. I was like, oh, I have a knee thing that, recur-, you know, it's like inflamed. Sure. And um, so I'm just going to sit for a minute. You're like from all I of never- my professional tapping. <laughs> <laughs> it's being aggravated. <laughs> So it's from my dance recital in 1985. And so I sat and just watched. And that was the last time I tapped. Oh, no. I, had, I was really into tap as a kid. And then uh, a friend of mine is a tap teacher in L.A. And I took a couple classes with him. And then I was like, oh, this is humiliating. I can't. Like, you can. Is it at Tapaholics in Burbank? By no, he teaches oh. at Edge, which it's oh. like. Oh, that's like real dancers. That's like Britney Spears' backup dancer. Yeah. I still have a class pass there that I have yet to revisit because I'm too scared. (laughs) Oh, oh, Edge is terrifying for anyone listening out there. It's like you think, you know, it's like if you're going to your hometown gym and you have like a little five pound weight and then you walk into like a bodybuilder class. I mean, this is like serious dancing. I mean, no one goes there unless they're a professional and they're like practicing, you know. And the professionals do not want to see you there. No, 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 no. Well, there is a place. I forgot. I lied. I have tapped since Savvy and Glover. I took one class at this little place in Burbank that's mm-hmm. so friendly. Oh, good. And it's called Tapaholics. And it's literally just, you know, middle-aged women 
pretty pretty good shuffle ball changers. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, don't don't think they're not good, but they're not <laughs> too much to keep up with. And so if you ever want some mild tapping, head on over to <laughs> I love it. I'll check it out. <laughs> um, so when you see Brenda do this spoken word, did that launch you into doing open mics from there? No, I was in, I was 15 <laughs> and in high school. I just remember being like something stirred in my soul. Mm-hmm. And I went, I want to do that. I wish we did stuff like that, you know? Yeah. But then, I don't know, you forget about it five minutes later, you know? And it's like, um, at that point, I still just wanted to be an actress and a writer mm-hmm. and a dancer and a whatever. It wasn't, I didn't do, I never even did an open mic. I, I didn't know where they were or how to do them. I didn't get on stage until seven years after seeing that, but that was still in my brain as what I wanted to do. Yeah. So at that point, like you're, yeah. when you, when you jump into open mics, you were in college. No, I was, I was two years out. Oh, like there was, I was a really, really naive, really delicate person. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't know that adults didn't have all the answers, which is odd because mm-hmm. I was very political, very rebellious. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I obviously hated a ton of authority figures. So I don't really get where the disconnect was for me. But I took very seriously what my professors at college said, even though deep down I didn't respect them because yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was so weird. So I went to like the dean of acting at my college and said, I think I want to do stand up. I was starting to, I was like getting into Lenny Bruce and I read Roseanne's um, memoir and mm-hmm. it wasn't even the stand up that appealed to me. It was like the anger and the like, I have something to say, but I don't know what I had to say. I really didn't have anything to say, but I just felt like I wanted to speak out loud in front of people. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like laughs was not on my mind. Like it was more like, I just wanted to stand alone and talk. And so mm-hmm. I asked my professor or Dean or whatever, and he went stand up. He's like, uh, I think, I don't know. I mean, there was no comedy <laughs> yeah. in Boston, really. Uh-huh. Like the boom had the comedy boom where there was a million clubs everywhere had happened and the bust had happened. So there was like one club and it wasn't there. It wasn't there was just nothing there really. Too, anyway, but he was like, I don't literally I'm talking I'm in a meeting with this guy half a mile down the street is a comedy club mm-hmm. never dawned on me walk inside and ask about an open mic I didn't even know the words there yeah. was no internet there was I don't know why would I know this and so you know the dean's like I, I you know Eddie Murphy I think um started doing stand-up in New York City and he was a teenager you know I was 20 yeah you know and he's acting like I'm 100 and he's like <laughs> I, I think it's a young person's game and you have to live in New York City and I just went oh okay I didn't that was it I just like so easily discouraged yeah just like oh all right I guess I that's not a thing um I I mean I guess my career is over Uh. yeah I just was like I guess I won't pursue that I'll just stick with the acting Mm -hmm. and then um my friend Jackie had this giant video camera because it was what they were back oh, yeah. then. And the she, shoulder ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that looks like you're like a professional. Yeah. It's like Panavision. <laughs> <laughs> and we would sit on the front stoop of my dorm and I would smoke cigarettes and I would make fun of the guys across the street that were in a drum circle, like the hippies. And I would just do these little rants. 
And I know it sounds like I'm trying to be like Dennis Leary. I didn't watch TV. I didn't like modern culture. So Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that was going on at the same time. And she would take me and be like, you're so funny. You have to do comedy. And I was like, even then I was like, when I do comedy, it'll be different. Like, I don't know what I wanted to do. Like, just be a fucking bore, I guess. And so then um, (laughs) my, like, I had a best guy friend, Jesse, and that like my senior year. And he's like, I'm going to go to this open mic. And it was at like the worst place you could possibly go. It was like, so Boston called Dick Doherty's Joke Stop or something. Amazing. I mean, everything you think stand up is like just awful, you know, and guys <laughs> and whatever. So I went with Jesse, and Jesse was more of a sensitive, smart type. And it was just all the like Boston guys, you know. And the host gets up, and I'm not kidding. It was like one of those things where Jesse kept waiting to go on. And everyone kept going over their time and he kept mm-hmm. getting bumped or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like three hours later, I'm like, this is awful. And I was like, if this is stand up, I don't want anything to do with it. And the host <laughs> took his dick out. No. Yep. Out of, yeah. out, fully out. Out for the audience to be like, hey, if anyone, it was like something he was like ragging on. What is um, wrong with men? <laughs> I don't, the audience wasn't laughing. So it was like, oh, you like this then? It was like something like that. Like, if you're not going to laugh, I mean, yeah. And I was like, and Jesse's like, I think I'm going to go. And I'm like, I think we should go. And so we left. And I was like, I want nothing to do with stand up if this is what it is. It's also like, is this what's just going on in random businesses? Is this just something like people don't know about? I I don't understand. It's like the basement of like a restaurant, of a pub. It wasn't even its own, you know, So it's a health code violation as well. Pretty much. (laughs) And I was like, that place, you know, and so I was just like, okay, well, that really just got me to be like, I, I don't want anything to do with this mm-hmm. world. So I just forgot all about it, truly, never sweated <laughs> you again. Went to hypnosis right <laughs> from your brain. <laughs> I was hypnotized by that dick. <laughs> and then something happened like the year after I got out of college. I. I'm still living in Boston. There's no like getting an agent and auditioning. I was like, mm-hmm. what do I fucking do with this theater degree? And I'm looking in the back of the Boston Phoenix, which was like the alternative newspaper to like the mainstream, mm-hmm. you know, it was like where you'd find out where concerts are playing or whatever. And I was looking for wor- anything that like said performing or mm-hmm. something. I really didn't even know about like making your own thing. I was really just not too with it and I saw something like auditions for an improv group and I had done improv in college and so I auditioned and I got in it was this group called improv Boston and I did some stuff with them but again that feeling that nagging like I got to be on my own Mm -hmm. and no one else in it like wanted to be in show business it was like what they did for fun outside of their real job and I was like no I'm different like I felt like a different animal you Mm -hmm. know and then there was an ad in the paper for like a game show was like scouting people and you had to go to this big comedy club called the comedy connection that again I never thought about open mics there because it was only like famous people coming through yeah that place is still on right I I think it I don't think so the comedy connection no I think it closed years ago but now there's laugh Boston which is better I could be wrong, but I think it's closed. Yeah, I don't know. I've I've been to Boston once for gigs and it was like seven oh, okay. years ago. So I don't totally I think know. it closed like a long time ago. But I um in between that, like joining the improv group and 
seeing that ad for the game show, I, I'd gone to the Comedy Connection to see a show mm-hmm. and I saw Norm MacDonald. And I just remember it was like, I, I don't even know what, like someone shot me with a bunch of drugs. I felt mm-hmm. so exhilarated and it wasn't that gross thing where someone's taking their dick out. It was just like a real club. <laughs> it seemed kind of classy. The opening act was funny. I think the opening act was, it, sorry, it wasn't Norm Macdonald I saw. It was this guy, Anthony Clark. I lied. Do you know Anthony Clark? I don't. He's a really funny stand-up. He's like probably maybe f- five to ten years older than me. And he had a sitcom for a while oh. about going to Emerson College. He was really famous a long time ago, like right around when I saw him. Um, kind of Southern, but I think he was always like in the closet and he drank too much. You know what I mean? Like it's a real tragic, like self-destructive story, but... Yeah. He was such a funny stand-up and so, he was just so goofy and funny. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, he, I saw him and it just blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and by the way, like anyone listening that is maybe a comedy snob would be like, oh, that blew your mind? Because I mean, it's just, you know, it wasn't like yeah. some hip intellectual comedy, but it was, he was making people laugh and it like, I don't know, it was like exhilarating. And I was like, oh, I need to do this. But again, I wasn't a funny person. Anyway, I went back to see him the next night and I was so excited. Mm -hmm. And then I was so angry because he did the same stuff he did the (laughs) night before. (laughs) That is the most mind-blowing thing, starting comedy. It's like, wait, what? (laughs) And he was even doing the same like pretend Mm -hmm. improvised Mm -hmm. moments. And I was was actually angry. And I was like, (laughs) what the fuck and I wanted to like yell he did that last night that's not that's not he's not just thinking of that that little thing where he pretends you know he's reacting to you that's not and like why did that make me mad I I really thought it was all made up it feels like a betrayal if I felt betrayed because it's Mm -hmm. like you're so fun I remember the first time I I saw a comic do the same joke it was Jerry Seinfeld doing his like uh, he's like a an answering machine joke about people still saying leave a message after the beep as though they're not going to know. And I saw him do it the second oh, yeah. time and I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you caught them. Yeah. Right. Who do like, you think what you would are? they do if the entire audience came back a second night? What yeah. if everyone was a detective like me and Lisa? <laughs> but it's so weird because you go see a magician, you know, it's tricks and you're happy to be tricked. Yeah. And I am like, where did we learn that it's made up on the spot? No, not one. It's never was a thing that was taught to us. It just, we all instinctively thought it. Yeah. I know a lot of people with this. So I was angry and that put me off comedy for a while. I mean, I swear to God, I I was like, well, I'm not doing comedy. I want to improvise. I'll stay with my improv group. Yeah. You're like, they're doing a new show every single night. (laughs) That's right. And then, um, Finally, I go to this audition for a game show. You go to the Comedy Connection. You stand on stage for one minute, and you have to say what your job is and why you don't want to do it anymore. And I was working. Yeah, and that was it. Then you had to sit down. And I was working at Boston Ballet, and I loved it. I was, like, working in ticketing or whatever. But I don't remember what I said. But when I got off the stage, this guy was sitting there who's now a good friend of mine, Eugene Merman. Do you know Eugene? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. He's lovely. So he'd been doing comedy, I think, for about a year around Boston. And I, I, I don't, I only remember is 
He gives me a flyer. I always say this, in my memory, it was like this Andy Warhol kind of figure, just this like weird person in the back of the club that was kind of mysterious. Mm -hmm. He goes, do you do stand-up comedy? And instead of saying no, but I want to, I go, yeah. And he goes, I run this open (laughs) mic. It's a booked Mm -hmm. open mic. Um, I have to invite you to be on it. So do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah. And um, so I took the little flyer home. Mm -hmm. I lived with my parents because I was saving up to... um, moved to New York, Mm -hmm. which by the way, quick side note, I did move to New York for three days and had moved back because I thought I was going to, yeah, I thought I was going to start doing stand up in New York. Uh And I went straight to like the hottest alternative comedy club that (laughs) I didn't realize was just a bar, but on Monday Uh nights there was, you know, so I went to the bar during the day and had a drink and talked to the bartender and said, I want to do that comedy night. He's like, Oh great. I don't know. that's Monday night. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess, you know, good luck. And I'm like, well, how do I get on it? He's like, I don't know. I have nothing to do with it. There's a guy that books it. I, mm-hmm. I didn't understand. Like, mm-hmm. it's not this business. And yeah. he's like, yeah, no, it's a whole separate thing. These people use that room. I'm like, oh, all right. And I said, well, how do I get on? He goes, well, I know that people make tapes. And I go, how could I make a tape if I've never done stand-up before? <laughs> and mm-hmm. he's like, well, I guess you'd have to start doing it somewhere else. I'm like, I don't want to start doing it anywhere else. I want to do this Luna Lounge, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And he's like, I don't know what to tell you. And I just remember being like, man, New York's hard. I mean, it was not even hard. <laughs> and I was just so mad and uh-huh. just so freaked out by New York <laughs> that I just, I remember calling my boyfriend who lived in Boston and being like, I'm coming back. Because I had like, was just staying with friends and he was like, okay. And You're so like, I- these people are telling me I need a tape. They're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> this place is really harder than I thought. And I- <laughs> I went back home and um, lived with my parents. And so I have my little flyer that Eugene Mm -hmm. gave me. And I go home and I call him on my landline that night. And I'm like, he's like, hello. And I go, I'm the girl you met. And I don't really do stand up. I just said I did, but I really want to do it. And I think I'd be good at it. And can I still do your show? And he just goes, it's just an open mic. (laughs) Like, calm down. (laughs) And so I went and did it. And it was like at 11 at night Mm -hmm. in the back of a bar but it was super cool and it was like, you know, I was probably 22 and it was only people within my age range. Mm-hmm. And I sat on a stool and like told a story. I did the Brenda thing, mm-hmm. added the cigarette because I smoked, you know, my little Lenny Bruce moment. And then I don't remember much else. I just know I loved it. And I, I don't know it. if I was funny, but it was just exactly what I want. I'd found exactly what I wanted to do. And so I did that every Thursday night. And then Eugene hooked up with this club in Cambridge, Massachusetts called the Comedy Studio, which was a, mm-hmm. a makeshift comedy club above a Chinese restaurant. And Eugene That's was the one real- I'm thinking of that I thought was oh, that one, yeah. Yes. And Eugene would like flyer, and that's still there. And Eugene mm-hmm. would flyer everybody in Harvard Square, and we'd get a lot mm-hmm. of like college crowds and. So I started doing that on Friday nights and then eventually Improv Boston. You know, this is the, these are the big showbiz stories. They said, mm-hmm. you can't do both, Jen. They you, said that you, to you? That, that's right. What they said you the can't. reason? Well, because we did Friday and Saturday night shows. Oh, and I, I said, mm-hmm. what, can I just do the Saturday shows? And they were like, no one else gets this special treatment. <laughs> and I said, we'll I have to do stand-up on Friday nights. And they were like, you're either a stand-up or you're an improviser. <laughs> I was like, well, I guess I'm a stand-up then. And I quit. There is such a weird beef between those communities. <laughs> I know. Because I did. I started an improv 
also, and I had the exact same feeling that you're describing where I was like, I like this, but it's not quite there. And yeah. eventually I was like, oh, it's even bombing as a standup is less humiliating for me than being in an improv group and somebody's like, and here's my dog. And then you're fucking crawling around on the floor barking. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> I hated bombing as part of an improv group because I didn't want, I, I'm fine to bomb myself, mm -hmm. but I don't want the responsibility of, of like, having other people be frustrated with me that are on the yes, stage with yes. me like I somehow caused them to have a bad mm -hmm. scene and no I, it's too much pressure um yeah I I really it's it's so weird how much easier it is to be on stage alone and bomb it's it is less humiliating and I'm sure most people listening if they haven't done it are like that doesn't make sense but it is less humiliating because you can always just say something you can always acknowledge yeah. it yeah you can't really do that in improv you can't like break the fourth wall and go, ah, I fucked up. And it's more, it feels like higher stakes also in improv to bomb when you're being silly. I don't know why, like it makes me want to crawl out of my skin. Cause I'm like, oh, at least if I'm being yeah. like dry and funny, it feels, yeah. I don't know, m more important or something versus like doing a big physicality and acting like a fool. <laughs> <laughs> Super vulnerable. Yeah. It is. Oh God. Just thinking about it, like I'm having a physical <laughs> I'm reaction. Like, I'm Whoa. like, oh, I gotta use my inhaler right now. I'm <laughs> freaking out. So <laughs> once you're doing this weekly, were you immediately like, oh, this is what I want to do for a living or? Yeah. And, and I still didn't know, though, how did you get that mm -hmm. paycheck? You know, because um, I didn't want to tour. I didn't know anything about that, that mm -hmm. that's how you made money. I still thought, and again, this is literally what? 98 99 so there only is and the only way really to make money as a stand-up is to kind of stay in the town you live in like mm -hmm. so and get famous and i get not even get famous but just get a lot of work mm -hmm. but even then you're and i don't even know how you'd make more than 500 dollars a week you know and then or i just it was still like do it and then maybe i'll get a sitcom that was still the yeah what do you call it like the track for comedians mm -hmm. to make a living um but I was I again with my bad timing like that was well I didn't have bad timing I, I had bad timing starting comedy in Boston like when there weren't many places to perform and mm -hmm. then the bad timing of that whole scene where you have your perfect five minute set that describes what your sitcom would be yeah and then some executive gives you a million dollars and you have mm -hmm. a sitcom that that whole model was starting to die out too mm -hmm. so I knew I wanted to do it for a living how I was going to make money doing it, I had no idea. Yeah. So I just kind of kept doing it because I loved it and just thought, I don't know, maybe eventually I'll get discovered. There was always just this like, I'll get discovered. Like that again, going back to that old school yeah. thing of like, you hear these stories that, you know, someone just walks in like and discovers people. So mm -hmm. I had no plan or any template to work with or any role model. I mean, truly, the only stories I'd heard were the stories of like Roseanne, mm -hmm. Jerry Seinfeld. Like they just do stand up until one day they're on Johnny Carson and then they get famous and then you have a show. Yeah. That was the plan. It's I, I feel like when you started and when I started, it was things were shifting so quickly yeah. that it it was like, well, I don't know how to proceed from here. I remember when I first moved out to L.A., I was asking someone, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Should I get color headshots or black and white and they're like what <laughs> <laughs> what 
Was it like well past the headshot? I think it was. I think it was like definitely when people had switched to color. To color, yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) No question. But people were still sending out physical things. But it was also the very tail end of that. So then, and I'm. So I like I feel like my all my references and my personality and everything skew older so it was it was a really hard for me to grasp switching to the internet especially like when I just got out here and everything was starting to switch I was like ah. <laughs> you know? oh same I remember like when you know when Dane Cook became really popular um, I think that was the early 2000s, maybe mm-hmm. mid 2000s. I remember thinking, because everyone was saying, it's his website, it's his website, right? He's mm-hmm. got these videos on his website. And and I remember thinking, no, this is bad because people aren't going to want to leave their house anymore. <laughs> They're just going to want to watch comedy online. Uh-huh. And, and that never happened. But now it's like, what the fuck was I? Wor- that sounds great. Like yeah. <laughs> imagine if there were no clubs in person mm-hmm. and you only could do it from your home. I mean, I know people like to get out in person, but it's just so funny. I was in a panic, like live performance is over. I wasn't connecting. <laughs> Before that. you're like really even in it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know, only like less than 10 years in. And it's also like I wasn't connecting that. Dean Cook was getting popular because he put his videos on his mm-hmm. website and it made people come see him. It, it wasn't mm-hmm. the opposite. And I, for some reason, couldn't grasp what he was doing. And I just kept hearing the website, the website. And I was like, oh my God. And, yeah. like, and you're like, it's but all he, they're over. Gonna, and it's, they're going to see his jokes on his website and then they're going to see him do them again. <laughs> oh, I never even thought of that. But that's actually the real worry, to be honest. Yeah, that's but still I, a worry. I really, I really was worried that the internet would be the end of comedy. And I was so wrong about that. That's really funny. It's it's yeah. the end of irony, I think, in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, right. It seems to be. I mean, <laughs> I, I it it there's yes. I don't know. Uh, I, like I'm I'm holding my head right now, just like uh, <laughs> how many times a day um, I am taken literally online. Yeah, and you know, thank listen, thank God though, it's it's just online. It's mm-hmm. free. You know, I've not had that experience live mm-hmm. where people have like, for the most part, understood that what I'm saying is a joke and have not. I mean, I think that's what people don't get. People who ask me about stand up and, oh, what do you think of, you know, people are so sensitive nowadays. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, whatever's going on on the Internet is different than real life yeah. in, a, in a club or in a theater and where open mic or wherever. Yeah. I mean, people are sensitive. They, may, they probably just keep it to themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think people have always been sensitive. Certain jokes hit us certain ways. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we're just drunk sitting in the audience when it's been a long day. But the the problem that I think is actually something that freaks comics out is if if everyone reacts to my jokes live the way they do on Twitter, where it's like they're, they're answering <laughs> them. Mayhem. They're like giving advice. <laughs> you're like, no, 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 I'm, I'm kidding. And they're like, well, why did you put a question mark at the end of that? I'm like, it's a type of joke. And they're like, well, if you don't want directions to McDonald's, why did you tweet it? You know, Jesus like, Christ. You know, like, yes. re- like real life answers to tweets <laughs> so is brain dead. so 
terrifying to, <laughs> to imagine performing for an audience that instead of laughing, they're just like, try some, um, dry, try a heat pack and then ice and then Tylenol. Like if you made a joke about, I'm so clumsy, I just hit my leg, you know, whatever. Um, that's my biggest worry as a live yeah. performer. <laughs> that would be so awful um yeah thankfully people i think that people that go to comedy shows for the most part get it they understand what they're getting into not fully (laughs) but for the most part yeah uh so once you were back after you after your very long three day stint in Mm -hmm. new york and then back to boston how long did you stay in boston before you moved again Uh, just about a year and a half i went back to new york yeah it was pretty quick i was pretty I was pretty eager to, to get mm-hmm. back there. I really, I, I, I actually, the the Boston Globe did an article about like all of us young people in Boston. There was mm-hmm. only really like five of us. And this manager in New York, she was pretty small time. She was sort of learning the ropes at a bigger man, at mm-hmm. a big, not at a big management company, but at a management company. Um, and she somehow saw the article, again, pre-internet. So I don't know why she had a copy of the Boston Globe in New mm-hmm. York City, but she did. And she found my landline number, this apartment I lived in. <laughs> and it's just so weird. Like, was I just, I just literally can't remember being at home and just the phone rings and I answer it. And it's like someone that looked up my number. Like, it seems like I'm, yeah. it seems like it didn't really happen to me. But anyway, <laughs> so I'm, I pick up the phone. This woman like, hi, my name's Shelly. I'm a manager. You're going to be huge. You're going to be big. It was the call I'd been waiting for, getting discovered. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know, and instead of being like, are you legit? Are you insane? I'm like, well, of course. Thank you. Finally, the phone call has come. And so she said, finally, um, two years into stand up. <laughs> yeah, finally. It's been long enough. <laughs> and she um, put me on this little showcase at Caroline's in New York. Mm-hmm. And I flew in or took the train in or something. I don't know. And I did, you know, some stand-up. Mm-hmm. Um, the showcase didn't do anything. It was just, I don't, I don't even know, like, what the point of that was. But, you know, I got acquainted with New York again a little bit. And um, I started working with her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she just didn't have a lot of power. And there wasn't really, again, like, what job is she going to book me in? Yeah. And I remember having breakfast with the guy that ran the agency. Mm-hmm. I think his name was Jason Steinberg. And I think he had John Leguizamo as a client. Oh, I love John Leguizamo. Either he had him as a client or he was giving me some bullshit that he's going to try to get him as a client. (laughs) You know, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. But I was saying I want to do one-person shows. And John Leguizamo had a big one-person show on Broadway at that point. And Sandra Bernhard did. And, and, you know, I was like, I want to be like Eric Bogosian and this and that. And he was kind of like... Well, you're just, he, he almost was like, well, that you're just, with the exception of Sandra Bernhardt, he's like, you're just naming guys. Oh. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, what other role models did I have? I mean, mm-hmm. those were the, and also I liked their stuff, but he was kind of like, he, I, I feel like in a way he was saying like women don't do that, but I don't really remember the conversation. Mm-hmm. It was so unremarkable because every conversation was kind of like that. And so... <laughs> Just really nothing happened. There was this big comedy festival. I remember the Aspen Comedy Festival. Mm -hmm. That was like, you know, you really wanted to get into that because, again, same thing. Executives from L.A. and New York are going to go and they're going to see your act and they're going to give you a sitcom. Yes, of course. Whatever. And I never, um, I always fucked up those kind of auditions. The, the, 
It would always be like a talent scout from a major festival would come see me in my element mm -hmm. at the Boston thing. And they'd be like, you're great. What an un whatever, like undiscovered gem. And then they would put me in a more professional situation and I would blow it every time. Like <laughs> there's so, there's so much harder because it's like you, when you are doing a showcase that is set up to be a showcase in front of industry, first of all, they all show up, they come from the office. So they're all in their suits. Yeah. It, I mean, I don't know about a festival, but it, it's, it's like, it's just such a weird, like you feel the judgment it's palpable and it's just harder to be loose and it's like okay i have to hit my beats i have to go exactly to five minutes because you know five minutes and 15 seconds is is gonna take points off of me or something like it just you, it's so easy to get in your head about that and it's completely not natural to scout someone who doesn't know there's a scout there doing their thing mm -hmm. and then say yeah we're gonna put you okay so great i liked what you did but now i have to see you at this fancier comedy club on a night where everyone's auditioning. So there's that energy. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the audience is full of suits that are judging. And, 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 and so when I did go to my big Aspen audition, which was in New York, and now I'm living there, I, like you said, I went over on my time by a mm -hmm. lot. And I fucked up because I didn't see the light. And I may have had a drink to calm down. I may have been a little <laughs> drunk. And um, I just... I just didn't get any laughs and kept going, you know, that thing mm -hmm. that you got to learn not Were to you do. like, I got to, I got to leave on a laugh. Yeah. So I, ha I must and keep talking. There was no laugh coming. And I remember the guy yelling at me, you're never going to work in this town. Like literally <laughs> I had so many and he's classic like on a cigar. <laughs> yeah. I had so many classic. I got all the showbiz moments that I dreamed of as a young girl. <laughs> um, and you know, of course, like I went on to have a career and that guy, you know, I think mm -hmm. he did, but like, you know, it like, it doesn't matter, you know, yeah. it, in a, but, but yeah. So then I was living in New York and just kind of temping, mm -hmm. <laughs> walking around with a pager, a pager so that this manager could contact me about auditions. I, God, I love it. <laughs> and there was never any auditions, but sometimes she would just page me and I'd run to the nearest payphone, uh -huh. call her back. And then it would be like some stupid question. But I would always get excited, I'm like oh, it's a big audition. But there never was. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, God, the the weird meetings and encounters I had when I first started. I'm always so baffled and impressed by people that start in the industry and they just have this kind of knowledge about how things work. Because I think I feel similarly to what you were talking about, where I was just kind of like clueless, like. Mm -hmm. I was like, I got to make a DVD of my stand-up and... Uh, oh my God, you know, yeah. like, I just thought everything was... So, I remember a handful of years into stand-up, a friend of mine was like, please loosen up. This is ridiculous. Because I thought... He was like, what are you doing? Just be yourself. Because I would go into like a meeting and I would be so businesslike and I would dress yeah. entirely differently and sit differently. And I'm just like, oh. and now we negotiate business dealings. You're so much like me. I What a good friend you had that said that to you because that's really totally invaluable advice. Like I did the same thing. I thought I really didn't realize, no, you, you be yourself. Mm -hmm. That's what they're looking for. But I, <laughs> yeah. I would, yeah, like it was if I was interviewing to be a banker. It was yes. like now I act yes. boring and professional, but I didn't really know who I was yet. And, and it's funny that I did that because I remember reading... I was really obsessed with James Dean in, in high school, like mm -hmm. all the nitty gritty about him, like 
he took dance lessons when he lived in New York and all his like true underground kind of artsy secretly in the closet lifestyle. And I remember reading about this audition that he did where he was auditioning to be in that school, the actor's studio and Mm -hmm. the director Elia Kazan was like the teacher or something. And James Dean's glasses were broken. And so he was too embarrassed to say that he couldn't, see the page in front of him so he just improvised and he you know just acting totally himself Mm -hmm. being weird and everybody was wowed by it Mm -hmm. and who's this genius and it didn't dawn on me yet do something like that if anything yeah when you go to some meeting like be be weird or at least be yourself but I was like I learned nothing from these stories that I was obsessed with it was like I went and did the opposite like yeah, like, let me buy some clothes that I'd wear to, like, a temp agency interview. Yes, like a, like a button-down. <laughs> I remember for one meeting, I bought a new dress, and I was like, okay, well, I, like, would overthink things. I'm like, why well, should wear flats? Because heels look could look thirsty, and it's got to be a knee-length dress, even <laughs> though this is not what I ever wear at all. And it was, like, a button-down. It looked really blousey. And I think I only wore it to that, and then I got rid of it, because I was like, why? I would never wear this in any scenario. And I went in... Jen, I went into the meeting with a folder with like bullet points on I had printed out on a thing to talk about and like my headshot printed out and the guy was like, what are you doing? Was this just for like a uh, like a TV executive kind of like or an agent? um, You know what it was? It was an entertainment attorney who uh, I found out later was a creep Um, and uh, he like he was a regular at this restaurant I worked at and he was like, Oh, let me like, let's have a little meeting. I want to talk about what you want to do. Like I can help you. I can like, you know, recommend you to managers or agents or whatever. Got it. Um, and I just was like, <laughs> you're acting like you're going to be like his, the other secretary. attorney in the office. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes. And I was like presenting my case in like a, in such a clinical Aww. matter. And it, I was like, what it, now looking back I'm like what the fuck was I doing oh my god we're the same oh my god I know when younger people like Mm -hmm. ask me for advice I'm like I don't know because I did nothing right not one thing (laughs) and I did it like in a totally different world than exists today so please don't ask me I'm like not trying to hide all my secrets like, yeah. I want the best for you, person asking me, but I don't fucking know. Yeah. Like, we come into an audition <laughs> with a soft shoe routine, and they're like, yeah. please, what are you doing? I'm like, well, youngsters who want advice, first of all, get yourself some tap shoes. <laughs> and then sit at the corner drugstore with a soda yes. and wait for a big director to discover you. Yeah. You're like, what's a drugstore? Why does it have a counter with sodas? It's like, you know, it, looking back on it, I'm like, well, that's endearing. And also makes me want to crawl out of my skin. It's so endearing. Time. And I know I, there's times when I look back on all those moves I made and I went, God, could I have been more successful? Could I have, could I have gotten to work the job I mm-hmm. it took me 15 years to get pretty much? Like, could I have gotten there faster if I'd not been so stupid? But I don't. Like, that's just saying, like, could I have been a different person if I was a different person? Like, yeah, sure. Yeah. But that's what it was. I think it's endearing. I think it's way better that you have those experiences. I think it makes you a better, and me and everyone, a better writer. I don't mean than anyone else, but it makes, I, I think say you can draw. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like, it makes you such a dynamic performer and yes. writer. Because you, 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 you know those 
cringe vulnerable moments and and Mm -hmm. living those kind of moments is I think is so good for the soul I also think it just you know how to write so many more emotions I think like whether you're writing a script or writing an act for yourself like you just know how to plunge that or Mm -hmm. I don't know go deep like that I think it's important yeah I think so I mean that's the conclusion I've come to that helps Mm -hmm. me sleep at night (laughs) if you see those stand-ups and I won't name names that like shot out of the gate knowing what to do Mm -hmm. they're like Mr. or Mrs. Marketing like they seem kind of robotic and soulless and they may uh be billionaires and more successful than I will ever be than perhaps you and I combined will ever be Mm Um, not to rope you in to, to this analogy where I'm the biggest loser, but they do seem kind of soulless. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think this kind of stuff gives you, means you have a soul in the first place and only makes you more interesting. I think so. Um, so once you were like into comedy and yeah. like when, when you were doing stand up regularly, did you have in your mind like, an idea of what did you know like I want to write for TV and I want to shoot a special and whatever or did things just kind of come about yeah they came about I didn't even know I writing for TV when I was in New York the first few years not even a thing Mm -hmm. um I just didn't know how you would do that I mean I didn't even have a computer you know and (laughs) me neither neither. and I moved to LA in 2003 so what the fuck hilarious (laughs) computers definitely existed Oh, they 100. Well, you know, I my day jobs were always of the executive assistant kind. Mm-hmm. So I, I did have like I did use my computer at work mm-hmm. and stuff. So it's pretty lucky that way that, you know, I did write, but I didn't have my own computer. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I was just doing stand up and, and getting on some of the cool hip shows and, you know, getting really bad advice from mm-hmm. the people that ran them. Like this guy, Jeff Singer, who. I know you know Mm -hmm. Uh, to the audience he's been around for about 20 years and he used to be the booker of a really big festival and uh, and a few comedy nights and he just recently had to retire because his racism and sexism and homophobia was proven and Mm -hmm. brought to the forefront and he kind of quietly resigned so lovely it was just like the best day of my life so Jeff was someone that was always my nemesis um, when I was a young thing in New York and and performing in the in the room that he booked, the Luna Lounge that I finally got on, you know, mm-hmm. the place that wanted me to make a tape that that I refused to when I first <laughs> moved there. Um, and, you know, I got to do cool shows like that, like only four times a year, but it was a mm-hmm. big deal to me. And, you know, I got bad advice from him, like well, we, whatever these stories you're doing, you know, this isn't one person showtime, like um, you gotta do short jokes, like Mitch Hedberg, that's mm-hmm. the style right now. And I was like, oh, okay, but I don't know how to do, like, so I started doing short jokes, but they weren't, really just sentence short sentences they weren't Mm -hmm. funny like I wasn't good at it and so I like listened once again to anything anyone told me Mm -hmm. and I followed their advice and you know I kept auditioning like Comedy Central was a really big deal then and I kept auditioning for their half hour specials Mm -hmm. or their little five minute things you could do and I never booked them um they just didn't think I was funny and I ran some rooms with I had a room that I ran with my boyfriend on a Thursday night at this youth hostel, really cool space. And then my friend Becky ran a room called B3 because it was on Avenue B and 3rd. Mm-hmm. And it was like the basement of a restaurant, super cool space. I helped her run it. And then I did like all those kind of booked shows that comedians ran. Yeah. Um, and I remember the people from Comedy Central saying to me and my friends, you know, when you run your own rooms, it looks kind of like, you can't get booked at the major clubs. And I said, I can't. They told me I'm too alternative. And which was also just 
an easy thing you could say mm-hmm. to keep women out and mm-hmm. anyone else. <clears throat> and I said, so they basically were like, you look like a loser for doing this. And then they would come to the room that we ran and scout it and pick the men that we put on. So they would like, come on. No, not kidding. So we would run this room, uh-huh. basically showcase all the greatest new young comedians, including ourselves. And now the executives told us we look lame for doing it. But then they would come there and then it would be like, oh, this guy was funny. And they'd put him on like a Comedy Central five minute stand up show or whatever. No. And, and never a, the women. It's like also running your room is a, lo- a lot of fucking work. And it just gets you more stage time, whether or not you're getting booked somewhere else. So they're literally telling you like, you look so corny doing the work. Like, yeah, fuck it you. was really weird. And this was like 1999, 2000. And then like maybe five, six years later it became the coolest thing to run a room, mm-hmm. but it wasn't at the time. And so I remember finally though, they booked me on this thing called Premium Blend on Comedy mm-hmm. Central. And it was like, everyone did five minutes and they flew me out to LA and I had a really bad fear of flying and I freaked out on the plane and tried to run off of it. Ooh. And um, luckily it was like pre 9-11. So you could kind of act like that and it wasn't uh-huh. <laughs> considered a threat. But I mean, <laughs> the plane was taking off and I got out of my seat and tried to run up to the cockpit. Oh. I thought I was going to be like, can, I'm so sorry, I'm too scared. Can you land and I'll get out? I really, 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 really thought that. Uh-huh. Like I was in a panic. And the flight attendant grabbed me only because like we were taking off. I could have fallen. And she she laid me back down in my row. And there was, you know, it wasn't a very full flight. And she sat with me. Anyway, the point is like there were some executives on that flight. And I got off the flight and I was so drugged. Like I, I didn't know how much Xanax to take. My doctor had given me some for the <laughs> mm-hmm. panic. And, but I never really went over like when you take it or how much. So mm-hmm. I just kind of took too many and, or, or took enough that it was hard to wake me up when we landed. Mm-hmm. And I, I woke up and I was like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. But they were really cautious. And so mm-hmm. they got a wheelchair for me to help me oh. off the flight. And then the executive saw that. And then, um, one of the comics that I didn't know that well said something to the executives like, she's on drugs. Like, which is different than she took anxiety drugs for yeah, panic disorder. Off. You know, so then that begat, begat this rumor, like the whole weekend we were in LA filming, like they, the executives kept coming up to me like, are you going to be okay? I'm like, I'm fine. It was Xanax on a flight. Like, You're I'm like, not like a literally drug addict. we were flying. That was the issue. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. And so I bombed and... I think they tried to blame it on like, it was awful. And then they cut my thing. It never aired on TV. And these, and this woman, like that woman who ran the Comedy Central thing gave me one chance. And just after that, she was just like, you're not funny. Goodbye. Cut to, she's now the new booker at Netflix. And I did two specials with Netflix. Mm -hmm. I'm lucky to have done. Mm -hmm. Not saying I'm entitled to do them the rest of my life, but I knew once she took over the booking, like I'm never doing another one again. (laughs) Because yeah. she personally hates me. And that's what happened. But so, you know, you never know. These people come, always come around again. But um, but yeah, so I mean, I was doing stuff like that. Like, But I got to tell you, like, let's say I had done well on that five-minute premium mm-hmm. blend. I would have thought, I'm about to get famous. Like, every single dumb yes. thing I did, yes. I thought, getting famous now. Like, I don't know where I got <laughs> this from. The same mentality. <laughs> I'm not just saying this. Like, every, I'll send a packet. I'll hit send. And I'm like, well. There it goes. I should start spending this money. (laughs) (laughs) And I swear it's not even like a good feeling. It's not a confidence, right? 
It's just like, a, yeah, it's just like, a, okay, well, that's for sure. So I'm just going to put it in the calendar. Like, yes. <laughs> and it's like, I can't explain it. I know you know what it feels like. It doesn't feel like law of attraction. Like, I'm not trying to work mm -mm. an angle mm -hmm. here. It's just like dumb, honestly. It's like, but anyway, so, you know, I just kept doing like stuff around town and then moved to L.A., on a total fucking whim, like mm -hmm. literally no plan. Also for three days or? <laughs> nope, this time for real, mm -hmm. mostly because it was so far away and I didn't like flying that, you know, I I just stayed out there. Like a friend of mine had moved there and I went out to visit him and then we kind of started dating. And But he kind of knew what to do. He's like, you got to start writing a spec mm -hmm. script, gonna write, try to get a job. And, you know, so I just moved out to L.A. and started same thing I started over in the, uh, that I'd done in New York. And L.A., honestly, I felt was a lot easier at first. Like, mm -hmm. I, I always used to say it feels like my training wheels came off my bike and I'm riding it the exact same way I always did. But I felt like the audiences were easier to make laugh in L.A. Sure. Um, actually don't know if I think that now. But anyway, I was just had a lot of fun when I first moved there. And I was still young enough that, like, jumping into the comedy scene was something you did every night and you made friends and that kind yeah. of stuff. But but again, how to make fucking money? I mean, I was 30 grand in debt. I was living in like squalor, mm -hmm. you know, and I was 30, you know, I wasn't like that young anymore. And I just, yeah, I always wrote like sample scripts and I wrote short stories and stuff and did a lot of story reading shows. But again, I, I didn't even audition because I always had a day job. So it was like you would have had to quit yeah. your day job to audition. So it was the same thing, just like, I don't know how this fucking breaks. Like, I don't know how people make a living. And yeah. then I got a manager and she had some clients that were on the road and and she would kind of send me out as their opening act. But again, mm -hmm. I would like break even financially. Yeah, I was going to say for $200 for the weekend exactly. or whatever the fuck. But I was so afraid of flying. I was like, is this how people make money doing stand up? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, fuck. That's not what I want to do. And she's like, well, why are you doing stand-up? I was like, because I want to get on TV with it. And then mm -hmm. something happens. And she's like, not really. That's like people tour. And I was like, I don't want to tour at all. I never did. I don't mm -hmm. like flying. And she was like, okay, well, you've got to figure something out. And eventually I got over my fear of flying and came mm -hmm. to love touring. Now I hate it again. But, um, <laughs> mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, I mean, it all just like really the first writing job I got was writing on Chelsea Lately. And that was like the big, it wasn't like... Well, I was. It was like I haven't been out of work for more than eight months since then. Oh, and that that's was two thousand eight. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. And that is Knocking I, I all the think wood. like that's life changing. Getting a union writing job. It's and the, we weren't union at first, so oh. I didn't even know. Yeah, I didn't know it had changed my life until like two years in. Does that make sense? Like yeah, that makes sense. It it really was like we're gonna hire. You know, I wrote like a little joke packet. I didn't mm -hmm. know anyone there. It really was like my manager said, well, this thing is hiring. And I was like, I don't want to write jokes about celebrities. I mm -hmm. don't care. You know, I still didn't realize, like, nobody cares. You just do it as a yeah. job. And I, yeah, and then I got the job, and I didn't know if it was going to last a week, a month, a year. And then eventually it seemed like I was there to stay. And then we had to um, we had to fight to go union, and it took a couple of years. But so, yeah, it's not like the first two or three years there wasn't. But anyway, but once it became union and it seemed like I was there mm -hmm. for a while, it really was, it was life-changing in that, like, we worked 48 weeks a year, which, you know, is great to get paid yeah. that often. And, yeah. and to, be a f to be on the show, too, we all built our own little fan base so we could then start headlining yeah. clubs around the country. That's and, so awesome. And so it was, it was like, oh, okay, everything sort of fell into place and, and um, you know, opportunities came from there. Um, 
but it, yeah, it was, it was like, but I don't think I, yeah, it was the first job I had and it was like 15 years in. So I, I truly like, if you had told me when I started, okay, this is going to take 15 years. I'd be like, <laughs> what? I'm not doing this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I only lasted that long because I didn't so know. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the only reason any of us last. Um, right. I don't want to keep you too long, but I do have one last question for you. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. This is oh, so boring. About no, no, no. Not boring at all. Not at all. Um, I love this. I could I could talk to you for 10 hours, uh, but I won't. <laughs> I won't keep you. Um, if your childhood self, like 10-year-old Jen, could meet you as an adult today, what do you think she would think of you? I love this question. I don't know. I actually had this conversation with a really close friend of mine from high school who insisted that I would be so blown away by me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't think so. Because I'm like, well, I don't own a home. And, and I'm like, I don't think I thought about that, though, when I was, you know, younger. Like, I'm, I can't not judge it with, like, current me. Um, I've got to say, I think 10-year-old is such a... Okay, I think 10-year-old me would be, like, a little scared. Mm -hmm. Just a little scared of me. Not that I'm scary, but just sort of, like, who's this lady that lives alone in an apartment? And then also, like... Who's, like, so self-assured. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But just, like... But also just, like... I hear she's in show business, but I don't see any photos of her with Marilyn Monroe and the Rat Pack. Like, I think I'd be confused by the story I've heard about how I'm in show business because mm -hmm. I see no signs of it. Um, but in general, like, I think I'd be like, even just seeing a headshot of mine, you know, mm -hmm. or that like I wear a bra, I think would just be like, I'd be pretty blown away. I'd be like, <laughs> yeah. have you had sex? You know, like, I think it would... Yeah. <laughs> no, but I really do think 10-year-old me would be, um, like, pretty intimidated. I think 18-year-old me would be pretty happy, uh, maybe a little more happy because it was closer to, like, what she wanted. Yeah. I think 10-year-old me might, might be a little disappointed at me. Oh, no. <laughs> it's funny. A lot tapping. of people say I'm that. I'm not tapping. I'm not tapping. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You're not you're not in the next MGM musical and they don't even do those anymore. Huge disappointment. Oh, God. Huge. I don't think I want 10 year old me to know that. <laughs> I want her to live in a fantasy. Yes. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for being on. What would you like people to check out? Well, I have a new I, I so I did finally I haven't done stand up in like two and a half years and I really made a decision to not do it anymore and I do um uh podcasts instead so my last comedy album just came out it's called okay gen x and people can mm -hmm. stream it wherever you stream it or buy it on itunes or whatever and then I do a podcast about anxiety and it's called anxiety bites and it's weekly and it's free and I interview all kinds of experts like neuroscientists or whatever about all all different subcategories of anxiety and it's truly my favorite thing in the world that I do so if people listen, maybe they'll give me another season. And uh, yeah, and then I'm going to be workshopping a one-woman show here in Brooklyn. Oh, I love it. I know. I love I'm it. Gonna, I'm going to have to see it. I'm going to do the thing that they said was for men. Um, it's called, <laughs> I've workshopped it before in LA, um, but I'm bringing it back. And so people can buy tickets to that. Mm -hmm. um, Everyone can just go to my website, jenkirkman.com, but it's called Gonna Panic Like It's 1999. I love it. And it's about growing up with um, 
panic attacks and fear of nuclear war. And how timely. <laughs> yes. No kidding. Nuclear uh, war is hot again. So yeah, so just my website, jenkirkman.com. But I would highly recommend if anyone has anxiety to check out my podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I will. Uh, I'll talk to you later. All right. I'll see you. Thanks so much for listening. Once again, that was Jen Kirkman. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Jen Kirkman. And I am Lisa Curry. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, Venmo, pretty much everywhere at Olympian Lisa Curry. And hey, if you feel like you should be paying for this, hop on over to Venmo. Um, I'm not stopping you from that. Uh, tonight, tomorrow, and Saturday night, June 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, I'm opening for Jim Jeffries in Canada. We are doing uh, Winnipeg, Saskatoon, and Regina in that order. Tickets are available on jimjeffries.com. I am so excited to go back to Canada with Jim. It's going to be a great time. Uh, If you're in the area or going to be in the area, get yourself tickets. It's going to be a riot. And uh, other than that, we will see you right back here next week. You know the deal. If you're enjoying the show, like, subscribe, write your congressperson, et cetera, et cetera. And we will see you next week. Goodbye.